0: Hey everybody, I'm Rob McMichael and along with Tim Whitaker and Jordan Renault. this is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how He lived and how we can better represent him and his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little bit more about us, let's get into the episode for this week. We are about two weeks into the Lenten season this year, so this week, in episode number 47, we have Paul Guttaker back on the show to discuss Lent. We wanted to talk about what it is, what is its purpose, what should we do, and the application personally and corporately in the church. As always, we find ourselves talking about a lot of the surrounding issues, but discover some good guidelines for our attitudes and activities during this particular season. So let's join the conversation for this week.
1: Welcome everyone to the Coffee Theology and Jesus Podcast. I am your host, Tim Whitaker, with my other co-host, as always, Robin Jordan. What's up, gentlemen?
0: I, I like how you wanted to stop the conversation that we are having. So
1: just mid sentence. Welcome, everybody. I wanted to have this on the air for our listeners because you accused me of being a liar. And Tim Whitaker is not a liar, usually. <laughs> I mean, I have lied but in this case I'm not lying about so Rob accused me I said I was okay oh, let, let me go and back up. Paul guttak is with us again. Hi Paul. Hello And today we're going to be talking about the concept and the idea and the tradition of Lent and so Paul was asking if any of us are participating in Lent this uh, for this year and I said I'm trying I'm fasting social media and then Rob, just jumped right in, pounced on me like a tiger, and was like, no, no, no. In fact, you were in a huge debate on Facebook about Calvinism. And that's when I had to correct you for putting words in my mouth and twisting my words. It is true I'm I'm fasting Instagram, but I am on Facebook, but I'm having a private dialogue with some friends on a DM situation about Calvinism versus the concept well, of free will. Good. So I'll that's take the truth. a
0: screenshot and post it of your public conversation as well (laughs)
1: that didn't count that was before i started
2: (laughs) the nice thing the nice thing though about talking about calvinism on facebook is if you're really smart you eventually everybody will agree oh for sure that's worth that's worth spending the time on it
1: (laughs) that that was my logic so far it's worked out perfectly so i've i've gotten really far i've convinced people it's everything you would hope for a facebook debate to happen has happened Everyone's apologizing for being yeah. wrong. They're uh, thanking me for showing them all the truth. Of my, all of uh, my long-held
0: views have all been changed on Facebook.
1: That's exactly what I'm saying. You know how many people's views I've changed personally because of my countless hours of amazing debate skills. I can't even count them on one hand. That's how many. It's
3: ridiculous. <laughs> it's an insane amount. We we do know. We do know the number Tim. <laughs> we won't we won't say it out loud, but we know. <laughs>
1: Uh well thanks for keeping my keeping me humble, Jordan. I appreciate it. Um You're
3: welcome. <laughs> I'm here.
1: I have been in a big a big thanks to Rob, really. I've been really down the yeah, rabbit yeah. hole of all this crazy predestination stuff. And I am I'm almost getting too obsessed. In fact, I, I I told myself today I'm gonna take a break. I, I'm never gonna solve uh, the problem. You, and first, you the, first
0: need to listen to that you. series
1: that I sent you. I have started listening to it. Who's the gentleman who speaks on that series? He's like super proper British. So it's
0: Dr. David Gooding, and he's the prof- well, he's Professor Emeritus of Old Testament Greek at the Queen's University in Belfast, Ireland.
1: Paul, you're in academia. Does that ring a bell to you?
2: I know all the professors, <laughs> and I have to say. So he's my a retired favorite. professor because
1: now he's like 85, but...
2: Oh, I don't. I don't anyway, know. Him. I can't say well, I know.
1: Then he must not count, Rob. So if you know? Do you know, him, do you um, know no, John Lennox?
2: Amer-
0: are you
1: familiar?
2: That name sounds so, familiar. John Lennox
1: is
0: like uh, one of the um, disciples. Let's say.
3: Is he the guy that? Is he the guy that makes all those little porcelain uh, yes figurines? and plates and dishware? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, know, he's, he's I know the one he's that, that has debated
0: <laughs> he's debated Richard Dawkins a bunch of times okay. um yeah he's he's a professor of mathematics at Oxford
2: oh but yeah he, yeah yeah he I is I mean. yep.
0: um one of the disciples of um Dr. Gooding,
1: Hmm. Well, anyway, yeah, I've been down that rabbit hole. I I've started that sermon. I've also been listening to Doctor Leighton Flowers a lot and uh, Doctor, what's his name, White, the oh, other James guy. White. Is, yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I know where you stand <laughs> on these issues. Um, I do. I do hope that one day in the future we can have a good podcast episode about Calvinism and some of the worldviews that it tends to hold. I think at this point right now and subject to change because you're always discovering uh more truths about scripture i'm probably pretty far away from an from a pretty holistic calvinistic worldview like i really couldn't agree with most of it at this point but that might change in the future who knows but anyway um yeah so i've been down that like crazy i mean i'm I'm happy i have unlimited data because i'm just on youtube while i'm driving just playing videos and 24 7 and then youtube does like the recommendation so it's like so-and-so is like proof of why Calvinism is totally false. Then the next video is why that person's video is totally false. And you're like, oh, the rebuttal of that guy's rebuttal. So um, you can really get into a whole rebuttal kind of situation here on YouTube and just never stop. It's pretty amazing actually.
2: I'm gonna put a plug in real quick for ignoring Calvinist, anti-Calvinist videos on YouTube and reading John Calvin. (laughs) He's actually really, really great. Um, and it's hard to recognize, uh, in some sense at least, um, how Calvinists today can yeah. be traced back I've, to him, because his the—I mean, yeah. Anyway, read read I, Calvin. I, I was just stuff. about to
0: say that that you know John John Calvin would not identify as a Calvinist today.
2: <laughs> and it'd be a little bit weird if you did too, you know. It'd be like, I'm a follower <laughs> <laughs> myself. I'm a follower, Yeah.
1: Um, Paul, why would I read the source when I can read other people's opinions about such said source now? I mean, it makes no sense. So uh, thanks for your idea, but I rebut that and I will just continue on with with my YouTube videos.
2: Cool. It's been great (laughs) to be on again with you guys. Um.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Paul, it is great to have you on. I I loved our last conversation. Um, That was, I think, two episodes ago. Um, and it was talking about Sabbath and it was great. So, um, I knew we had to have you back on for this topic in particular. In fact, this is where we wanted to, this is the topic we we wanted to have you on for originally. Um, but I'm glad we can do it now. So we're going to talk about Lent today, the idea of Lent, um, what it means, um, what it doesn't mean, um, and all that goodness. So, um, Paul, we brought you in because, you are part of the Anglican faith or tradition, I should say. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And they follow Lent. They observe Lent.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But you also identify in the evangelical movement, pretty much, as part of the Anglican. Correct yeah. as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think for a lot of people, including myself, I can't speak for Robin Jordan, um, Lent for me, I was always understood to be like a, a Catholic thing, that you go to the priest, they you know put ash on your head, and you're not eating meat or you're not doing something you know, for a certain amount of time until um, Easter. That's pretty much my extent of what I understand Lent to be. And I also know that I've never in my life have ever been taught to observe it or why it's a good idea. So I'm wondering if we can kind of get the conversation started, if you would just take some time to kind of explain um, what Lent means for the Christian.
2: Yeah, that's great. I think what maybe we'll do is start like really big picture And then, you know, at some point we can talk more about practical, like what does it actually look like? And, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of Christian traditions and denominations now, I think even more than in the past are, are taking on some kind of Lenten practice and seeing like, Hey, there's some value to this, but, um, but certainly is more associated with more tradition oriented groups like, um, Roman Catholics and Orthodox and Lutheran and Anglican and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, so big picture it, sort of to to get what lent is about you have to start with like what the thing is which it's a season in the church calendar um and it's just one season right so um there's the season the church calendar starts with the season of advent which anticipates christ's coming at easter i'm sorry at christmas i'm gonna do that all night um no problem christ christ's first coming at christmas and then looks forward to his second coming. You have Christmas, which isn't just a day, but an actual season, right? 12 days of Christmas. Um, you have epiphany, which is sort of, um, the, uh, Christ's revealing himself to the world. Um, it we, we it begins with it when he was um, brought to the temple, right? Um, and sort of made public in that sense. This is the Messiah. Um, and then we have Lent, which precedes the season of Easter. And that's really important to keep in mind because Lent is 40 days. Um, for This varies from the Western church to the Eastern church, but for the Western church, the 40 days starts with Ash Wednesday. Sundays don't count, right? Sundays are always feast days, not fast days, even during seasons of fasting. And then you get to Easter, and Easter is 50 days long. So Easter is actually longer than Lent, which is significant. We might come back to that. But the reason I think we need to start there with the church calendar is that part of what I think the church has recognized, and there's biblical reasons for all these different seasons too, but part of what the church has recognized is that um, we need to order our time not by um, the whims of a particular uh, culture or of what our sort of bodily desires are or um, or some sort of secular events that we think are most important, but actually um, structure our time and live in rhythms that reflect Christ's um, life and passion and death and resurrection. Another way of saying why this might be significant is that um, the Christian life is complicated. (laughs) Like there's a whole lot of different parts to it. And one response to those different parts is to try to feel them all and think about them all and like press into them all, all the time. Um, Another way, which I actually find, at least for my personality, a lot more doable is to say, here's a season where you're going to really pay attention to like one really important part of the Christian life, which is sin. And it's not that we're not going to talk about sin or death or repentance the rest of the year, but we're really going to, like dwell on it and go deep. Um, that to me is more like, well, it's more like the rest of human life, right? Highs and lows, um, seasons. It's more like the natural world, um, mm-hmm. which changes season to season, rather than trying to go through that sort of emotional roller coaster, spiritual roller coaster every Sunday or every every week. So there's something to be said at the outset, I think, about the value of different seasons um, ordered around really important parts of the Christian life. In this case, Lent derives from the scriptural precedent for 40 days of fasting. So Moses fasts for 40 days before receiving the Ten Commandments. um, And and Christ fasts for 40 days before his Passion. He goes into the desert, right, to to face temptation, to basically do battle with Satan and wins. And Christians... Um, likewise, sort of, uh, Emily and likewise. So we can say more about that, but um, I find a lot of I, I find a lot of um, significance in um, in essentially allowing the Christian life to be marked by different, maybe you could say, different hues, and quite literally, different liturgical colors too. But different hues that that, we, that sort of together comprise the whole. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: When you, um, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You, you hit on quite a few different things, but one of couple of things just stood out off the top of my head here. I, I remember, uh, when Sarah and I visited you, Paul, uh, in Texas, and we were kind of exposed to, um, just how you guys do life down there and, you know, the church you're part of, and then also being exposed to the church calendar idea for really the first time in our, in our life. You know, I mean, I've heard of it, but I've never known what it stood for or the rhythm. Yeah. Um, of the church calendar. And again, I just something that was in my head church calendar is Catholic. It was just, it was just kind of an automatic connection. And therefore, I don't practice it because it's a Catholic tradition, not a Christian tradition. There's always this kind of like divide in my head between the two. Um, but I like what you're saying is that that the importance of a church calendar really is that you're centering your life around like the rhythm of Christ's life when he was born mm-hmm. and what that meant and so on and so forth throughout. Mm-hmm. And Lent is a part of that. Yeah. Uh, is that kind of like the big picture overall that we're talking about?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, another way of saying it is that um, it's just, uh, it's more um, colorful. Like it's more, it's less monotone to to say um You know, rather than trying to be moderate all the time, we're going to be extreme. (laughs) We're going (laughs) to fast and then we're going to feast. Right. So the counterpart is really important. Um, Rather than just sort of having lives of endless moderation, we're going to have seasons where we're really um, uh, going without. Uh, And then we're going to have seasons where we're really not, you know, at Easter um, is, is, is like a, a really epic feast for 50 days where you share good meals and drink good wine and, you know, and, and really enjoy and celebrate what um, Christ's new life that we share in means. So there's something about that sort of rhythm of highs and lows, of fasting and feasting, of joy, uh, of repentance, that I think if you just flatten out the year and if you let your, your year and your time be structured, here's the thing. If you don't have a church calendar, you are going to have a calendar. Right. right? It's just going to be ordered by secular things instead. Right. So the highlights of the year are going to be the the, the the big feasts you keep, the big moments you celebrate are going to be um, maybe good things, but they're not going to be these um, sort of fundamental things. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. The other thing I, I like that you said was that it gives you time to process big things without feeling like you have to process everything at one time. Something that I definitely have to wrestle with, as we were just talking about a minute ago, me being so deep down the rabbit hole of one particular viewpoint of scripture or of the faith. Um, and it can yeah. feel very overwhelming because you can feel like there's always something to be thinking about that's important, that's that's like essential to like the faith, whether it's the importance of uh, sin or the resurrection or new life in yeah. Christ or whatever it is, you know, the, the age of things to come. So I like also that you mentioned that, that the church calendar gives you time to focus on all these big things yeah. without the sense of like, if I don't think about it, I'm, I'm not doing it right. Almost, you know, there, right. there's, there's space
2: made for it. And especially on the hard things, right? Cause let's be honest, we mostly, if we're left to ourselves, want to feel good. And so we're mostly going to have our worship, and our services and our like sort of spiritual life, try to focus on like the happy stuff. And yeah. and if you read the Psalms, the Psalms are full of a lot of really sad stuff, a lot of lament, a lot of doubt, a lot of repentance. And if you don't intentionally build that in to the, to the rhythm of a church year, you're probably gonna mostly just be singing the happy songs all year. And so there's actually, it's a real gift to the people who are grieving who are depressed, who are, you know, the, the, the sort of at the end of their life and, and, and a, a, you know, assisted living and their kids won't visit. It's for the whole church community to come together and say, let's, let's confront our death, let's repent of our sin, let's, let's grieve um, for like a while. Um, yeah. It actually makes something communal that's often experienced only individually and often quite alone if your church service is just happy clappy every morning. Yeah,
1: that's, you know, I'm always, especially with things like this, I'm always trying to contrast like what someone like what yourself is saying, compared to like, either my experience of the evangelical faith, or like my experience of church, or maybe even just the evangelicals typical experience of church or the Sunday morning service compared to what you're talking about, um, or even the Christian life, you know, and I think that what you're hitting on Um, you know, when you say it like that, it makes so much sense that you would have rhythms to life and that it's okay to, um, to acknowledge the sad parts of life, right? Not having to feel like, like every day is a Friday, so to speak, but it's okay to say actually today is not a good day, but that's okay. There's actually comfort knowing that the church is with me on this. Um, that's a pretty stark contrast to, you know, what I think a lot of us are seeing like in, in the evangelical movement as a whole, where there's a a big push of like, you know, um, your best life now kind of talk in different ways, or, you know, um, unleashing God's promise for you kind of uh, discussion. And like you said, there's probably a place for that stuff, but when it's all that stuff, then what are you left with when things don't go that way?
2: Right. Well, what you're left with is a false gospel, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're left with a promise about the Christian life. That's just not what Christ promises. Yeah. Um,
0: so we definitely see that whole idea in Ecclesiastes. Um, what is it Ecclesiastes yeah. 3 you know there's uh, in everything there's a season and a time for everything under heaven totally. time to be born time to die plant you know pluck what's planted yeah. um, weep be happy all you know we go through the whole thing um, and yeah. so I, I definitely get with that with that whole schedule of, oh, no, let's actually make a time for this particular thing. Let's make a time for this because, and, and that in of itself definitely is not an unbiblical thing to do. Um, and I, I've right. definitely never thought of it in that way before, or had it presented to me in that way where, you know, it's not like you're neglecting everything else at that moment, but your, your emphasis is on this. And perhaps yeah. even when you put your emphasis on it for, you know, 40 days for this season, it's not like you, all right, those 40 days are up. I just blanked that all out and it's not going to affect mm-hmm. the rest of the next 325 days. But because you had such an intense mm-hmm. focus during those 40 days, it should have an effect on the next 325 too. And same with Christmas and, you know, the rest of or Advent and the rest of the seasons, because that it was such an intense focus during those shorter periods of time, it should have an effect for the rest of the year as well.
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And one of the effects that's kind of subtle is that we like we live in a now culture, right? Where in and, and the church can fall into this, we can fall into like, okay yeah we can talk about sin and grief and stuff but like we gotta get really quickly to like the right. good stuff you know the worst thing the worst example of this is a good friday sermon like it's still good friday and people are talking about christ um being risen it's like you know like right now christ is dead and the <laughs> disciples have lost all hope and they're despairing right and, like, we gotta sit with that for just like a little bit <laughs> um, But, but we live in this gratification culture. This is, this is the problem with Christmas. Like if you don't have Advent before Christmas, what you get is by the time Christmas day comes, you're exhausted. You're sick of the songs. You're sick of the food. You can't wait to be done with it and start your diet because the new year's coming. And you've been, you've been partying. It's like, it's like inviting all your friends to your wedding and partying for like three weeks. And then as soon as the wedding service is over, you're like, everyone leave, (laughs) you know, because we're tired of each other. Um, Whereas Advent is like, wait, delay that gratification. Hold on. um, Long for it. Let yourself feel that longing and like, don't gratify it yet. Cause that's ultimately what that pointing to is your longing for Christ to come and make all things well. Um, So don't, Scratch that itch, you know, mm. and it's similar with Lent. Like if you're going to feast for 50 days, you better darn have fasted, you know, like <laughs> you, you, you have to, again, because this is part of, this is part of the Christian life. The Christian life is take up your cross and follow me. And Lent is ultimately about 40 days of looking towards Christ's passion, taking up your cross and following him to, to Calvary. Um, maybe it'd be helpful to say a couple of things about what, like what the sort of focus is for Lent particularly.
1: Yeah. If you can give us like the Lent for dummies book for evangelicals, that would be really, you know, for evangelical dummies like us, that would be super helpful.
2: Yeah, totally. So, I mean, it boils down to, there's a couple traditional Lenten um, practices and they all come from, from Christ's teaching, particularly in Matthew. But Christ talks a lot about fasting. Mm. He assumes you're going to fast, right? It's not like if you decide to, it's like when you do, here's how you should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there's quite a bit of on prayer around these passages and, um, and almsgiving, sharing with those in need, not being greedy. And so Lent um, at its most basic, most simple, is it's a, it's a season of penitence, of taking a good hard look at our sin, like a serious look. Um, and repenting of it, and um, practicing these disciplines of fasting, prayer, and almsgiving as ways of um, uh, sharing in Christ's suffering. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a couple misconceptions. One is that Lent is like the time for you to give up things that are bad for you, right?
1: That's um, where I am right now.
2: <laughs> right. The problem is, if it's if it's like sinful or bad, like you sh- you don't need Lent. Just like just repent. Like generally, <laughs> <laughs> like, don't wait for Lent. It's just <laughs> sin. You should you should stop. Um, yeah. The whole point is that you're you know fasting. You're giving up things that are good. Hmm. You're giving up things that are good gifts of God, right? Um, not because they're sinful or evil. Again, those things should just be given up because they're sinful and evil, um, right. but because for a time, um, you're, you're sort of disciplining yourself. Um, you know, the metaphor that Paul uses for this is uh, training your body like an athlete. And Christians throughout the centuries have paid a lot of attention to that and said, like, what does it look like to take the spiritual life with the kind of seriousness and intensity that an athlete does to their body, which is really intense? Yeah. Right? What am I putting in? How much? How much am I sleeping? What am I? What risks am I avoiding? That's the kind of metaphor Paul is using, and so um, it's a way of yeah. So fasting uh, is a way of um, of, that, of sort of practicing that kind of discipline, disciplining the body's desires, so that they might become more like Christ's. Um, so that uh, our loves, which are so easily disordered, to use Augustine's um, uh, way of talking of it. Uh, to see them become more rightly ordered. So what I don't love most is my own own stomach, is my own desire for sexual pleasure, is my own um, comfort. That I love those things, actually, the proper amount, which is to say much less than Christ and much less than my neighbor. Um, Uh, Paul, are
1: you saying that you should fast
0: sex for 40 days? That that was definitely Mm -hmm. part of it, was uh, abstinence.
2: It's often been a part of it. Yeah, it's often been a part of it. Which isn't... um, I
1: don't
0: know if I
2: can do isn't it, guys. Isn't that common? But it um but it's worth noting that Paul seems to assume this is a good idea, mm-hmm. like some kind of yeah. abstinence, right? Yeah. You don't hear that preached on very much.
1: Well, well yeah, um, I was gonna ask you, like, is there like a certain like are there things that are specific that like the Christian should be fasting? Or is it kind of like look at your life and like think of things that you are really Dependent on consistently yeah. like for example, you know, I mentioned kind of joking like I'm off Instagram for Lent But like is that yeah. like a legitimate thing to be fasting I mean, It's social media. I mean, it's not you know, what I'm saying well, like It it's can a, be
2: kind of it definitely can process. be yeah. yeah I mean the question of what you choose to fast from or not is an interesting one um, Actually before we talk about it I just want to say one other thing about the basis the no, other sure, part sure. of it The other part of it which is really obvious on Ash Wednesday is hey, you're gonna die right like each you're you're going to die um it could be really soon it could be years from now but there's going to come a time when you'll be utterly alone before um your your death um and, and 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 enter into that darkness um and it's a really central part of being a christian to remember this remember that we're not going to live forever Mm. um now of course our hope is the resurrection and we will um be resurrected and we will be judged and um and uh and turn to to glory but um but we don't get to skip over the part where like this body is going to die so Mm. um another key part of lent is confronting our mortality and our um not just our sinfulness and our weakness but uh, the fact that we're terminally ill and we're all, um, so, you know, you start there with the ashes on your forehead from dust. You came to dust. You shall return.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because, because repentance necessarily includes confronting this You know, our, our priest, Father Lee, he'll um, take, a time, take a day during Lent or more than a day sometimes to go over the things that are, need to be in order for his death, right? Like look at his will again. Look at his funeral plan. Update the list of passwords to different things that people will need, you know, um, to be able to access. And he does this as a spiritual discipline. This is a way of saying, like, I didn't die this last year, but I'm going to die. Mm. Um. Anyway, that's just one other key. The mortality part of it's one other key part before we get to the practices.
1: Well, I mean, before you move on, I mean, that uh, let's sit there for a minute because I, um, that is something that. No human. I don't care what you believe, uh, you know, Christian or not. Like no one really wants to confront or think about that day. You know that the fact that, in one sense, it's something that happens to every human, but we treat it like it's so like like it's really it's really like 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 the rare shock. Like whoa, so and so died. You know, it's like well, that at some point, what happened to every human that has ever lived. But even for me, it's hard for me to even think about my own death. You know, the fact that one day I won't be here anymore. And most likely, unless Christ returns, which I think is unlikely. Right. Um, but if, if everything goes according to plan, the world will continue on and I will not be here. Um, and that is, again, I'm just thinking it through, Mm -hmm. um, with like our current evangelical state as like a church culture, I don't even know if we, our answer to death is like, don't worry, you're, you're going to live forever. Like, don't think about it. Like, you'll just be right into glory. And, yeah. you know, there's not that sitting of like, well, let's let's be somber and sober minded that we are going to pass from this earth to the next, you know, kind of thing. Yep. Um, so it's very interesting that, that, that you bring that up because I think that's something that, you know, is scary, but also, like you said, necessary and really healthy, ultimately.
0: Jordan? Jordan, do you have any <laughs> thoughts? He's been patiently waiting and quiet. I'm.
3: <laughs> no, I mean it's good. It's good to to listen to all this stuff too. Um, <clears throat> no, not not a whole lot of thoughts actually. I just had one on what you guys were just talking about. Um, that when we think about death and and our own mortality, I think it's important when. Uh, we consider the gospel and, um, you know, like, yeah, I guess I'm just trying to th- uh, say like, it's important that we consider like the, uh, the mortality of the people around us too, I guess, um, mm-hmm. especially for people yeah. that like um, have family that don't know Jesus. Um, it's easy to kind of get into this <clears throat> um, and I don't only say this because you know I've experienced it with uh, people in my own family, where you kind of just continue assuming in some way that you know this person um, is going to obviously pass into glory. Also, you know that this person's going to be there, and we don't necessarily think about you know well are you sure about that? <laughs> you know, are you sure about, does that person actually know Jesus? Um, you know, have, have you shared that with them? And it's a, that's a hard thing to confront, especially, I think family is, is a huge one. Um, but I mean, certainly like close friends too. too. Um, but just the people, you know, in your life in general, and, and you kind of, I think a lot of us will try to, or just, kind of do it without even thinking about it, but just kind of ignore that (laughs) um, aspect of uh, this life that the people that we know are also going to die um, and are going to be confronted with that same judgment. And that, I think, well, I, you know, while we're dwelling on our own death, I think that's an important uh, thing to dwell on also.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. There's a sense in which this, this, part of the difficulty of what you're naming Jordan is that culturally, like you said, Tim, we just, we just really don't want to talk about death at all. So um, people, people who don't, especially I think people who don't have a, have Christ, don't know Christ, don't have the gospel, uh, are reticent to think about death or talk about it. But it's, it's also a problem within the church too. We, you know, it used to be that your family died in your home and you laid the body out and people came by into your parlor or whatever and, and and paid their respects and then you went and buried it and you might've buried it in the churchyard where you'd walk by it every morning on your way in and remember.
1: Mm.
2: And now we, you know, we quickly shuttle people off um, and let professionals take care of it and sanitize it. And we don't even use the word death, you know, cause we use euphemisms. We, they passed away. Yeah, um, you know, cause we really don't want to look at it mm. and that makes it harder in a lot of ways to share the gospel, to witness to the gospel, because nobody wants to think about it or talk about it. Um, and, and part of what I think we can do as Christians and our witness and part of what I think Lent actually can be is saying, Hey, we we're the ones who are willing to take a really hard look at this. And, um. And to deal with it and to think about, it. you know, the early church was famous for burying the the bodies of poor people who died without any money for a funeral or a grave. Oh. Um, as a way of saying, this is a person made in the image of God, their body demands dignity and respect. And, um, and, and we'll, we'll do this, you know, um, mm. I think the church today can have a similar kind of witness. Uh, I mean, the ones who, sort of look death in the eye look mortality in the eye um, yeah. and recognize that our sin is what this is how serious our sin is right so right. um that's why you start there and let your sin is this serious you know when i when i carried james who's 2 years old up to the front and he gets ashes put on his forehead and i think like he's going to die either i will see him die which would be terrible mm. or he will see me die which also will be terrible right um, <laughs> but one of those is going to happen Right, um, and that's that's how serious this repentance needs to be, because mm-hmm. that's how serious the sin is.
1: So it's almost like you tie in that really death, and we we know this is the ultimate consequence of sin. But it's it's like taking a look at that in the face and saying, no, like, this is how serious it really is. Like it's not this is beyond just the the theology of death. I'm looking at another person that will pass away one day, if not yeah. myself, and that's because of the consequences of sin.
2: Yeah. And Lent is meant to continually bring us back to confront our own sin. You know, one of the dangers is it becomes another source of pride. Look at how holy I am. Mm. Wow. I really care about, you know, my faith and, and, or, or to look down on other people who aren't, you know, fasting and like, as soon as it makes that move, you've missed the whole boat because the whole boat is you, your sin is why Christ went to the cross. Mm. Um, and confronting that again and again, which I mean, so another another myth to explode about Lent is it's not about it being perfect. In fact, like you're very much not going to be. You're not gonna keep your fast.
1: Hmm.
2: And if you if you actually think you're doing it perfectly, again you're missing the whole <laughs> point. <laughs> because the whole point, really is, yeah, the whole point Yeah, the whole point is that you've messed up way more than you can fix. Um that doesn't mean you don't try. That doesn't give you licenses for to sort of be like, oh, well, there we go again. Right. And I haven't kept it a single day all forty <laughs> days.
1: <laughs> right. Um,
2: but it's 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 acknowledging like this is not about you performing. This is not about you feeling like you're boosting up your spiritual points. It's confronting more than you ever had before, your your failure and your sinfulness.
1: Huh. I think that's important to note because I, again, I had the perception of like, wow, like people who must feel the fast 40 days, like that's impressive. <laughs> but Lent yeah. is almost kind of proving to yourself, like, actually you're probably not going to be able to do this all the way. And that's just more evidence of why you need, you know, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, totally. Why you need to. Confront yeah. your humanity. Yeah.
3: I think that's missed. Sorry, Rob. I think that's missed a lot. That whole, the whole side of it that you've been explaining, Paul, that, it is about your sin and it is about your inability to um, reach that perfection or um, accomplish anything on our own. Um, I think when most people think about Lent, it's just like you, know, like you were saying, well, that point of pride, almost like, look what I can give up for 40 days or... You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pick something small so it's easy and I can accomplish it so I can feel good about myself. <laughs> yeah.
2: Or I'm going to pick something really hard. Right. Yeah. It's much. either hard that's so people awesome will look at me
3: or it's easy yeah. so I'll like feel sex. good about
2: myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. part, I mean, back to what your question about what to do, what to give up or whatever. This is part of why there's a lot of wisdom in letting in just going with with what a community is doing, because you can easily fall into your own little games and pride and stuff. Mm. So I find it really helpful to just be like, well, you know, Christians have generally always given up things like meat and drinking um, and sweets. And those are pretty just like tangible. And like, that's a pretty good starting point there's a lot to be said. I mean, I think that the social media fasts or the, I'm going to take a break from, you know, or cut back my TV watching or whatever, like these sorts of things are valuable in as much as they create space for prayer. Yeah. But there's something to be said for practices that involve your body. Cause it turns out that our bodies are part of our spiritual life. They're not like just a bonus that we're waiting to shed. And, um, and they're, they're part of our sinful life, right? And they're part of what we're wanting Christ to remake. Um, we, it's part of why we do, why we do practices with our bodies, spiritual practices like fasting is because um, it's not just about getting our ideas right, but it's about, again, seeing our loves reordered. And that means more than just our thoughts. It means um, all that, that makes us human. So, I think it's valuable to have at least one fasting practice that has to do with something like tangible and physical. Mm. Um, Even if, even if you add other ones in, I mean, traditionally meat has been given up because it's um, it's a way of sort of honoring that Christ became flesh and, and, and perished um, and died. And so like the sort of abhorrence that should give you for eating meat, is kind of a proper response to what the son of God did. Mm -hmm. Um, So often giving up meat on at least Fridays during Lent um, is is fairly common. People sometimes practice like actual abstinence from food generally until dinner during the 40 days, Um, you know, a little light snacking and then eating a meal at the end of the day, that sort of thing. Um, But there's a whole bunch of different traditional fasts you can look up. Different traditions have different ones. Um, and, and oh, sometimes how, they're sorry, go ahead. counterintuitive
1: uh, I was going to ask how important is it for Lent to be celebrated or I guess um, participated in in the context of a healthy community that's doing it with you and what does that look like
2: yeah there's a, there's a tricky balance there because one of the things that Christ makes most clear is like hey don't tell anybody (laughs) (laughs) like don't show off how good you're fasting don't
0: don't go in there looking all sickly and saying well i'm fasting
2: exactly exactly (laughs) so there's a lot to be said for keeping it as secret as you can at least parts of it um you know there's other little rules like hospitality always trumps it you know if somebody has you over for dinner and they cook you a nice whatever Mm. it's it's you eat it you don't even bring it up you know like Mm. their hospitality is the trump card there. Um, so there's something to be said for individual and, and working out in prayer and with a spiritual director or a, a mentor, like, Hey, you know, what's a good discipline, um, and, and, conf- you know, confessing failure and, and that sort of thing on a really private basis. Mm. But there's also something to be said for like, look, we're all in this together and it's a lot easier if we're all like, yeah, we're not even meet this, you know, Lent, okay. Um, or, um, or or, at least the, the communal commitment to not let anyone... The, the beauty of doing something communal like Ash Wednesday is it's not about how pious you are. It's the whole community. We're all in it together. Nobody's better than anybody else. We're all going to die. We're all sinners. And we're all taking a look at that. Um, nobody's special in that sense, right? So, I, I, I mean, I think you need, you need parts of there both. Um, if you're in a church that doesn't have a strong emphasis on Lent, you know, I can imagine like a small group or a group of friends saying like, hey, let's try to like really pay attention to this these sorts of things, this Lent and, and see how it goes. The other thing that's really key about fasting, by the way, is that there's a direct connection between it and, and giving to the poor. So like the early church is all about this. If you've got a lot and somebody else doesn't have enough to eat, you go without and let them eat. Um, and Lent is a, a season where you can really focus in on that so it's just as important to give alms to to give to the poor during lent as it is to have whatever sort of um spiritual you know other spiritual disciplines that you're you're taking on um and there's, there's a direct link there right like if you're not eating as much or you're not buying meat or not buying wine or something you have more money you actually can give that money away. You can also save some of that money for Easter when you're going to want like, you know, at least one good bottle of wine, probably every day or every two days. <laughs> if you're if you're keeping a proper Easter. <laughs> so, so there's a, there's a, in some ways it's really eminently practical. It's like economics, right? It's like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Hey, we're going to go without, we're going to live simply. We're going to discipline our, And it's also going to, go to a really epic 50-day Easter feast because Christ is risen. And that's awesome. Now,
0: would you would you say kind of the, you know, we, we associate it with a tradition that requires their adherence. You have to do Lent and you have to give something up. And in that extra biblical um, traditional approach, where you know you 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 get the flavor of land as we talked about, I, I think it's a the flavor of mm-hmm. it is very biblical but the keeping of it isn't like... Hey, the. As not a members, specific command. Right, as members of a okay. church yeah. you must do this um, and yep. kind of the forcing of that has lost some of or almost all of what it's supposed to be about much like most traditions I would say mm-hmm. that are forced not and there's some people that definitely keep it the way it's supposed to be. But, you know, then then you just get yeah. people that are fasting and oh, I'm going to I'm going to give up driving my diesel truck when I don't even own a diesel truck. But I'm, that's what I'm giving up mm-hmm. where yeah. fasting in the scriptures, I think, always has the intention of you're giving up something physical, as you have said, to replace it with something mm-hmm. spiritual. So we're giving up, we're giving up this certain, you know, if if it's let's go with the the marital sex, we're giving up sex, not because we're depraving each other and we're going to see how long we can go without is because we're going to devote that time that we would have spent doing that activity to prayer together Mm -hmm. or separately or spending time with God. And, And I think that is maybe one of the things that, is missing in the larger picture that if it was mm-hmm. placed back in people would understand more what it's really supposed to be about and not just giving up some random yeah. thing that you pick from a hat
2: yeah I think that's a really good point Rob it's uh, the the whole point of all of this is yeah. Christ right and so that's gonna mean Christ in the poor you know um, caring for the hunger the hungry one who is Christ um, it's going to mean that if if you do all this stuff and you're feeling like wow I'm really trying like I'm I'm doing pretty good this Lent and you're not spending time in contemplation of Christ's suffering in prayer um, that you you just c- totally missed it. The whole point is when you feel that hunger, you recognize that is ultimately your hunger for Christ, and you and you and you press into that. I think that's right, and it, there's. There's obviously ways in which any spiritual practice, whether it's fasting during Lent or having a private devotional time every morning or whatever, can become a sort of like I'm ticking this box because my community thinks right. I should and look how great I am. Um, and any of these things can go wrong and missing mm-hmm. the the heart, which is yeah, which is um, found in Christ. But I think what I think we we miss on the other side. Is tangible like things we can do that help our whole persons um sort of enter into what we claim to be true and what we what we what we confess to be true, right? In other words, um there's a false dichotomy, I think, in a lot of Protestantism and a lot of American evangelicals in between, like things that are like really spiritual and at the heart of it and anything that looks like works or looks like religious practices, you know, like Mm -hmm. as if religion is like a a bad thing um, and not anything to do with Christian, you know, genuine Christianity. When in fact, genuine Christianity is genuine religion, Mm -hmm. you know, according to the new Testament. So we, we need both. Like we, we need, um, things that we can do trusting that Christ is at work in remaking us um that the spirit's at work uh we can't just sort of sit around and wait um or have like purely sort of intellectual um, uh, practices like we we got we got to do some stuff and it's got to involve our bodies and probably our stomachs you know um. <laughs> yeah, i think
1: that's kind of the fun, the it's either way whether um you know you're evangelical and or not or you think it's all about relationship and not religion you're gonna find religious practices that you're gonna want to participate in you know you might not call it that but like uh growing up and um you know, doing a daily devotion every morning, or, you know, you should be at church every Sunday, or you should do, you know, you should understand the scripture well, you should be, you should be steeped in the scripture, or, you know, the, yeah. the Christian believes these things or does these things, no matter what, any belief system is going to want to have practical outpourings to prove that what you believe is actually true, because you're living it, right? So it's kind of funny, because we well, not maybe funny, more just ironic to me that, that while the evangelical church maybe is trying to always reinvent like these concepts, and Paul, you and I have talked about this before. I remember a couple of years ago you were kind of explaining like you know like the evangelical church is always like trying to rethink like discipleship or like devotion time, but there are actually really healthy traditions that kind of answer those questions <laughs> that you don't have to spend time reinventing the wheel. And I feel like the church calendar is a very simple one of like. Listen, you don't need to try and rethink like what the Christian life should look like all the way when there are already some really great yeah. um, ancient traditions that have been passed on that are actually extremely healthy and good for the life of the believer. But yeah. for some reason, there's a, per- our, a perception in our current climate of if it's church calendar or Advent or Lent, that must be like a not Christian thing to do, even though it comes directly from um, a very early Christian worldview.
2: Yeah, and the concern there, of course, is to th- see these things as somehow earning God's favor, or or you know, doing for doing something for our salvation on our own apart from Christ. And I totally get that. To be fair to evangelicals, like some some of the most committed people Christians I've ever known to things like fasting and really rigorous, difficult spiritual disciplines, memorizing like a ton of scripture. <laughs> Really serious prayer, like serious prayer. Um, care for the need. Like these are evangelicals. Like we've 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 held on to a lot of this stuff. It, sometimes it's more piecemeal and it's not communal. But um, I mean, the church fathers would have been like, "Oh yeah, totally. You guys get it." You know, in so many ways. Um, hmm. uh, and, and maybe you know, I, I often look back at um, you know my parents and the way they raised me and, and like, they they, they were doing this, they were doing like really robust and embodied spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. Um, we might not have had all the vocabulary to sort of talk about why and, and, and all that, but yeah. You
1: know. Yeah. But I just feel like in this specific context of what we're talking about tonight with Lent and, uh, and things it ties into, I, it just seems like at least in my experience, there's a very big immediate, like, uh, um, uh, aversion to those topics because yeah. they just carry some kind of baggage from somewhere of it being like not a true Christian practice when it's yeah. in reality probably a very healthy one that, that like as we're talking about more and more is even challenging me to think about like what my rhythm in my life looks like, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, I don't really know, like how you I mean like okay so let's say someone's listening to this podcast or you know um typical evangelical and they're like wow like I never thought about this this is really great like I'm really interested um and this is it just brings so much more life on top of what I'm already doing just to the mm-hmm. life of the believer like where does someone like that start where maybe their Sunday morning gathering isn't talking about this stuff in you know with sure. or anything like that what, what do you do with it
2: yeah that's a good question um I mean, I think one thing you can do is recognize the things that your tradition does offer and see them in a new light, right? And mm-hmm. press into them with a renewed sort of commitment to developing habits um, that that might bear fruit over decades, right? Rather than just immediate gratification. And all I think all Christian traditions have these. So just pressing into those is one. I, I mean, if you're looking for Uh, An understanding of why this this category of like Christian practices might matter why where our bodies might be part of our spiritual life This sort of thing a pretty decent place to start is a book by James K. Smith called you are what you love Hmm. Um, And he just lays out a different account of what what it actually means to be a person Than the one that we mostly have as moderns where we think of ourselves as thinking creatures Where if we get our ideas, right then we'll live right Hmm. Um, and I think a lot of our church cultures reflect this by overemphasizing teaching. Um, and Smith just shows like, actually, we're loving creatures. We're, we're desiring creatures. And the question then becomes, how can our desires be remade? Our loves be rightly ordered, um, which does involve teaching and learning, but it involves a lot <coughs> more than just our minds. So that's actually a pretty I mean, he's a philosopher slash theologian. So he's doing some heavy lifting in the book, but he's written it for a lay audience trying to say like maybe we need to rethink how human formation works. <clears throat> and maybe that'll help us understand why we should care about doing all these things as Christians, especially when we keep insisting at the same time that nothing we do ultimately saves us, that it's up to Christ. Well then why are we doing things? You know? He gives a pretty good, I think, answer to that.
3: Um I was going to say not not to contradict what you said, Paul, about thinking um, or the importance of thoughts, uh, getting our thoughts right. I agree with what you said, but I was just thinking at the same time. I was uh, I think a good approach um, to all of this for a lot of people because I think a lot of people are at, in a place where they don't really know what this is all about. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't understand the purpose of the church calendar. Um, they don't Mm -hmm. understand, you know, and I think that's where a lot of the misconceptions that Tim is bringing up about where you have this immediate aversion to this is because you, you're that someone's thinking, Oh, church calendar. uh, This is some Catholic tradition. We're obviously not going to do that. Um, But I think like when you can educate yourself and understand the purposes behind these traditions and, understanding that there really is like these awesome, um, reasons for doing this and and really healthy, um, aspects and benefits. And, um, there's purpose behind Mm -hmm. it. It's not just tradition for tradition's sake. Um, I think when you Mm -hmm. can educate yourself and understand that it, it, it makes so much more sense and it becomes something that, um, you know, is looks like something we should be doing. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah totally. So I think like educating yourself and, and even, you know, and then being able to share that with, with other people too. Yeah. Right
2: You're preaching to the choir, Jordan. <laughs> I mean, that's my jam. Like it, it, it is about that. It's about recognizing in some of these time tested practices, like people who really love Jesus um has thought about this and written about it and wrestled with it and, and like, and you know, quite literally done battle with Satan's <laughs> demons. You know what I mean? Like yep. the, these, and, and it's worse hearing from them. Right. Um And it yeah. doesn't mean we're going to agree with everything theologically or you take on every practice or become, you know, Catholic or angry right. or something, whatever, but it, but it, I think if you get past that first, especially that first um, confusion, because there is translation involved. I mean, if you're reading like a fifth century desert Mm. father, it's, it's (laughs) weird. (laughs) But if you can (laughs) press past that and see the desire for Christ and then, and, and then start to parse, what can I learn from this? What, what am I going to not hold on to what i going to take? I think you're right. There's a lot of value there.
1: Uh, There are, um, you know, I, so I, I don't know how much of this is just like me reflecting personally or how common this is to like the, uh, the believer of like the, who's like involved in the evangelical church. But the more, um, you know, I talk to people like to people like you, Paul, or even to, uh, Russ who we had on last week, or just people who are people that I would consider are, our thinkers in the faith and are, you know, um, knowledgeable in, uh, uh, way more than me in, in matters of, of the Christian faith and it's like tradition, the more I'm, I'm always kind of like, the more I kind of realize that, that, that Protestantism is showing me one very essential piece of that picture, but it's not showing me the entire picture. <laughs> Meaning like, like there's a very, there's other things that have happened in the past millennia that maybe I never even have been exposed to or never understood, have been part of the Christian faith. Um, yeah. Not necessarily, not necessarily canon in the sense of, you know, Lent being like, you know, uh, a biblical order directly in, that, in the way that we practice it. But because people way smarter than me have thought through this stuff, they've come to these conclusions that things, that things like Lent or Advent are actually essential to the life of the believer. Um, and it, it's, it's really my hope personally that, as the evangelical faith is always, you know, hopefully being rethought and reformed in the sense of, you know, checking our thoughts against scripture. I would hope that we'd be more open to also looking back to the traditions of the faith in the past that maybe we've kind of gotten rid of. Um, because at the time maybe it was so stupid in tradition, uh, that was empty, you know, and void of, of, but maybe we, we can reclaim that and kind of have, um, Kind of the best of both worlds, you know. It's funny
0: because the you know, the Reformation was really about sola scriptura. And no, we have to throw out everything that's not directly in the scriptures because it's and perhaps at the time it was. It was drawing people away from what they should have been focusing on and, you know, only faith through Christ. And so they they were good in their intent, but like we like to say, they threw the baby out with the bathwater and some of the practices that were good intent-wise but had been twisted around were thrown out and discarded and now the protestant evangelicals look and say oh that's catholic that's working for whatever it is where mm-hmm. the, the intent of what it is is a good practice and just because it's not written clearly in scripture doesn't mean that it's a bad thing to do because i think the evangelicals as a whole have brought in a lot of things that the reformers <laughs> would be like, uh, I thought, I thought I was pretty clear on only scripture.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: hey,
0: yeah, draw, that's
2: a really good point. And scripture. I mean,
1: all right, drums and <laughs> are all in there.
2: I think, um, I think, uh, it's a really good point. And we'll, you know, maybe sometime we can have another conversation about, um, how, especially American evangelicalism has taken on a very different flavor from, from even earlier evangelicalism and certainly from the reformers, not to mention the tradition before them, but it boils down to like, do you think when Christ said he would build his church, do you think he was mostly wrong about that for most of church history?
1: Right. Exactly.
2: Or, or, or and that doesn't mean that there's not huge mistakes or errors or sin you know, because there are no question, but, um, and I, I think, I think what you're naming Tim and Rob is, is actually coming about that there's increasing t- attention to retrieving the wisdom that we can retrieve and learning from those who've gone before, you know, CS Lewis talked about read, you know, that the real problem with the age is chronological snobbery that we think everything old is dumb and that we're just smarter and better. Um, mm-hmm. and I think there actually is a move away from that. It, it comes back to what I said about reading Calvin instead of the Calvinists. Like, you know, read some dead, some dead folks um, who don't have the same questions you have, who don't care about the same things you care about, who don't assume right. the same things you assume, and you might not agree with them, but they'll definitely help you recognize some of your own blind spots. And so, I mean, that's part of what we're trying to do with the Brazos Fellows. It's part of what I care about in my in my classrooms. Is like. We just need to think with different conversation partners than the, the guy who's you know really angry on YouTube or, or with the people who share all kinds of assumptions with us that we don't even know our assumptions. We just think it's like reality as it is. Um, mm-hmm. So that's part of why I think, yeah, I mean, you're, you're just getting me on my soapbox now about why, <laughs> why we need to do some more church history, but uh, it's true. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, that only means we'll have to have you on for around three of church. I mean, church, history, I feel like the meat and potatoes of what we can really, you know, go on for a while would be, you know, that kind of topic, because it's something that I know all four of us are very passionate about and all have different levels of either thought on or of obviously knowledge or, you know, academic knowledge on. And um, it'd be really great at some point to get more uh, in depth about that, because, you know I'm. I know we all have a lot of things to say and a lot of questions that we would probably like to ask each other around certain things. But Paul, I mean, the last thing I wanted to ask you before we get ready to wrap up. Um, so do you, with the Brazos Fellowship, first off, can you explain to our listeners what that is? And then I wanted to know, do you guys like celebrate Lent together or how are you handling Lent as that?
2: Yeah, good question. Yeah, so it's, I think I might've mentioned this on the last time, but it's a, it's a sort of nine month program where college graduates or people who are sort of twenty somethings come to Waco um, to do theological study, um, to do some vocational discernment, to try to pay attention to questions of calling, and to um, and to do this all in a community that practices spiritual disciplines together. So very much the language we've been talking about, right? Like there's some practices we take on. We pray morning prayer together every day, and um, and 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 some other things. So. So we do have a sort of small Lenten practice that we share together. I'm not going to tell you <laughs> what it is. but um, And then people have their own in addition. And it's great because, I mean, only one of them grew up sort of in Anglican tradition. Another one's been in an Anglican church recently. The other ones are sort of non-denominational, very different backgrounds. Cool. Um, but But we're all sort of recognizing the value of taking on some of these disciplines together I mean, the, the hope is that we, what we're doing is building habits um, that we can sort of take with us, right? Where it's again, it's not just me every day trying to try really hard, but there's just some things I'm taking for granted that, like, this is part of what I'm. This is part of what my life looks like, you know. Um, yeah. Part of what my year looks like is, is some sort of Lenten practice, and I I don't think you even have to use the language of Lent to say like, hey, maybe take a month to really just pay attention to your sin (laughs) and don't do it on your own. Don't do it just in your head, whatever you do. (laughs) Um, If you don't have a priest who will actually hear your confession, get a pastor or get a mentor. Um, But like really go there uh, and be like brutally honest um, Mm. and repent. And, you know, scripture is really clear that when you do that, you're healed. Yeah. Um, It's not about getting forgiveness. Christ works that out on the cross. It's about healing. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just true. I mean, that's, that's biblically true and experientially true. Confess your sin. So I think, um, you know, I think the fellows who aren't Anglican are appreciating some structure for doing a thing that really any serious Christian I think should be doing at some point. And I guess that's what I'd say to, you know, folks who aren't in churches or traditions that have a Lenten thing is like just um maybe especially if you're not gonna do a whole land or a whole month like that week leading up to Easter, Holy Week, like really go there and, and um, do whatever it takes, you know, wash the passion, <laughs> um, uh, confess your sins, like grieve your sin and and then get ready to celebrate because Christ defeats it all, defeats sin and death and 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 you get to party for fifty <laughs> days. Although yeah. don't do it's really important. Don't do the 50-day feast if you haven't done Lent, and don't do Lent without doing the 50-day feast. Both would be terrible <laughs> mistakes. So you yeah, have to have can... you have to have both. <laughs> yeah. NT Wright, Wright says that the week after Easter, you should serve champagne with morning prayer every day, <laughs> um, which I think is probably the most Anglican sentence that's ever been sentenced.
1: I don't have. Cap- it's like that in my head I and mean, they just don't live anywhere I'm like what <laughs> it, Um, yeah great stuff Paul I Are was
0: I, in preparing just to talk about Lent and everything I'd I listen to messages on Lent and the history of Lent and the reasons for Lent on a broad spectrum from Catholic priests to Anglicans mm-hmm. to um, you know, whatever denomination that's like reasons why you absolutely should not practice Lent. And it was funny because one, one of the reasons why they most people gave, why not to practice Lent? Because they were like, it's a Catholic tradition. And if somebody at um, your workplace is like, well, I'm giving up you know, Tootsie Rolls for Lent. And you then say, well, I'm giving up this for Lent. You're just you're just in with the Catholics now, and there's no differentiation between you two. And but, in my opinion, even you know, after our talk and and thinking over all of these things, what a great opportunity to witness for the real reason for Lent. If you actually knew yeah. the history and knew the meanings, and we're saying, you know what, actually, I am participating in Lent, and here's why. And you could give even some knowledge to your Catholic coworker who actually doesn't know why they're doing it. not saying all Catholics don't know, just saying that. Um, But you could give some knowledge to both parties and say, you know, this is, this is the real reason why we should be doing it. And, and point everyone back to Christ. And it's, it's funny. That's (laughs) one of the reasons, well, you don't want to be associated with them Catholics, but what, what's wrong with being associated with fellow believers just, no matter what denomination they're in, if we can both totally. push each other closer to Christ across denominations.
2: Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. And again, I think we talked about this as Sabbath. There's certain Christian practices that are actually really good news to the world. Right. And I think Lent is actually one of them. Lent's not something that makes you sad. It's joyful, actually. It's like, look, it is as bad. It's actually worse than you think it is. You're going to die and your sin's really bad. And you don't do what you want to do and you hurt the people that are closest to you. And that's, that's, that's awful. Um, But we, we want that truth. Like there's a Catholic theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar. He's got an awesome name and he (laughs) says, we actually long for God's judgment because we want to be told the truth about who we are.
3: Hmm.
2: And we're so unsure of who we are. And I think there's a sense in which Lent is good news. It's like, it's worse than you thought. Um, and Christ has defeated it. I mean, that's mm. really good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That is good, news that we need to
2: hear every year, not every year, every day, but like, I need that gospel proclaimed to me again and again. Right. Not just yeah. the unbeliever in my office who also needs it, but I, I need it proclaimed to me.
0: So, I wanted to go back to. I think we talked about this even last time. Is um, uh, talking about communion weekly, um, especially lining up with what you were just talking about, Tim, is the constant reminder. And I think that's that's why the weekly communion. That's what it looks like in the New Testament. You know, the best we can piece it together was why did they why did they do this as often as they came together? Because they wanted to be reminded of the death and resurrection of Jesus and mm-hmm. in doing so it brought forth their sinfulness and brought forth the um the power and sacrifice of Christ yeah. and you know that's that's what the apostle Paul was talking about when he wrote you know um look over yourselves and think about are, am I even worthy to take this and and look over what, how am I living and the thought isn't, well, you know what, I'm not worthy this week, so I'm going to pass on communion. Actually, the, the intention of Paul writing that is, guess what, none of us are worthy, but that's what makes this so great, is we realize our own unworthiness, and yet we do still come, and we partake of the communion, because it's what the Lord intended, and because that's what the whole thing is all about. Christ made it possible. Nothing that we did made this possible it's everything because of what he did i think that's why it's so important you know we we as most in the evangelical world is uh the communion we do it once a month or every other month or once a year why this should be a a weekly reminder this is what christ did and let's be reminded of him and it puts it puts ourselves aside and exalts him
2: Mm. I love that Rob. I'll only change one word. It's definitely a reminder, but I think it's, it's also a participation in the reality. Yeah. It's a reminder of the reality and it's a partition, participation in the reality. We're actually enacting it and entering yeah. into it. And that's why you can't just replace yeah, I, it with, you can't replace it with other reminders that might be more interesting or better. Cause it's, it's actually the reality itself that we, we enter into, but yeah. yeah as, totally. as often
0: as you do this, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, that's great stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, it's the Christian faith is deep and wide and all kinds of things. And there are all kinds of amazing topics and um, talking to, about Lent and just even the bigger picture of the church calendar. I hope that people who are listening who have never even uh, either heard of it or maybe have had some preconceived notions about Lent and these ideas um, are more open to the really healthy, rhythm that these things present that are they necessary for your salvation of course not are they necessary for you to even be necessarily a uh, a good christian uh you know probably not but are they really healthy and, and great things for the believer to participate in absolutely and can they enrich your faith and your understanding of of sin and christ and death and resurrection and feasting and mourning and all the things of that that make life life a million percent. So, uh, thanks everyone so much for listening and to, uh, you know tuning in, and whether you're streaming or downloading or whatever. So, Paul, thanks for coming on. Um, great, yeah. always great having you on. So, thanks
2: guys. It's always great talking to you. Hopefully, we can do it again sometime.
1: Yes, yeah, so we'll make sure that we put the um, Razzos Fellowship uh, stuff in the notes yeah, in the notes. Check we're still taking,
2: We're still taking applications for next year. So, if anybody uh, wants to come down and. And, you know, if we do another podcast during Easter, we can all make sure we have um, a bottle of champagne handy for recording. <laughs> <laughs> you you, and I will,
3: Paul. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think we'll lose half our audience. We lose two of them. So
0: um, anyway,
1: all right, guys. Um, <laughs> but a, a good podcast
0: announcement is we... so. Up until now, we've only posted on iTunes. So you could listen to our podcast on iTunes and our website. Now we are on iTunes, our website, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, and Google Play Music.
1: Wow, Rob. Look at you go. Awesome. Awesome. Guys, we're going to hit the big time. This is it. Like it's. <laughs>
0: I'll put my two weeks in. You guys Just in? Le- <laughs> Paul, you are in on the ground floor, buddy.
2: <laughs> I love it. Well, if you guys want to have a really heated argument about Calvinism next time, maybe we can get some more hits.
1: Yo, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: was a joke. I'm, not interest- I'm not interested. I'm not interested. Don't give the people what they want.
0: Yes, exactly. A controversy. I'm after that, we'll have a, a talk about creation.
2: <laughs> Sounds right.
0: Good job,
1: Rob. Can I, can I, can I end this podcast? Now? Am I allowed?
0: Yeah, go ahead.
1: All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We will see you next time. Thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology
0: and Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus.
1: But where's the water? What's your plan?